All right, let's, uh, let's go ahead and um, open our Bibles up to Zephaniah chapter 1. Zephaniah chapter 1. Uh, we've been, now that we're in December, we started this series satisfied looking at the book of Zephaniah. Um, and the idea uh, working towards ultimate satisfaction being found in God alone. Last week, we looked at the reality of a satisfying lie, that because of sin that corrupts our heart, that we um, are deceived by that, that Satan uses that as a lie to make us not trust in God above all things. This week, we're going to look at a satisfying Savior. And and I do that and I say that um, to preface you to realize that as we work through this text, you might ask questions, how in the world do we see a satisfying Savior in this? But we'll get there. (laughs) So uh, as a way to kind of lead us into that, I want you to think of a time where you receive the best news of your life. Is there one particular moment that you can remember? Is there one thing that stands out that was the absolute best moment of your life? The best news that you ever received? Do you remember the satisfaction that you found in that? You know, there is simply no better news than the gospel. Whatever moment you were just thinking of, Remember the ecstasy of that moment, how much that pales in comparison to the good news of Jesus. The thing about good news, it's only good when we understand that there's bad news, right? It's not good news if we don't understand that there's an alternative. The good news of the gospel is that God, through Christ, Bring salvation to his people. But the good news of that salvation is lacking without knowing the alternative that judgment comes for those who do not trust in the Lord. As with all of the Old Testament prophets, God uses Zephaniah to bring good news, to bring light into the midst of darkness. But in order to do that, he has to expose the darkness. What we all need to know, what we all need to understand, what we all need to remember is that our hearts are corrupted by the darkness of sin. And because of that, we'll quickly give in to sin and and sin's lie that satisfaction comes from anything other than God alone. The tricky part of that, and we'll see that here in just a few minutes, is that a lot of times that deception masks itself because we say that we love God, but functionally we add so many other things to Christ to give us satisfaction. So our satisfaction isn't in Jesus alone, it's in Jesus plus other things. And that's where sin deceives us. That's where sin completely lies to us. 
And so what we have to understand is that the truth is that, yes, light does overcome darkness, but that happens only when Jesus is enough. Jesus is the light. It's not Jesus plus anything else. It's Jesus and Jesus alone. And that's the truth that Zephaniah is trying to get relayed to the people here. God is enough. And even though he was writing hundreds of years before we are ever in existence, it's the very same truth that we face today. It's not Jesus plus anything else. It's Jesus and Jesus alone that is enough. God is enough. And so what I want us to remember as we work through these verses today is that Jesus is the only source of satisfaction for sin-sick souls. Jesus is the only source of satisfaction for sin-sick souls. With that, I want to pray for us, and then we'll begin to unpack starting in chapter 1, verse 7 this morning. Our Father, we thank you so much for the gift of Jesus. The light that shines through the darkness. The gift of glorious grace. The victor over sin and death. The only hope of salvation. God, may we see Jesus this morning. May we rest in the power of your word. May we realize that the only true satisfaction in this life is salvation in Jesus Christ. Not in any other functional saviors, but Jesus and Jesus alone. So God, would you guide our time? Would you, through the work of your Holy Spirit, speak to us? Would you make much of yourself through the reading and the preaching of your word? May you be glorified and may our hearts be changed. In Christ's name we pray, amen. I want to give a little disclaimer I'm still recovering from whatever this head cold mess is, and my mouth is so dry. I've got a bottle of water up here, but it's just not quenching that thirst. And so if I start muddling all my words together, just forgive me. But Zephaniah begins in verse 7 of chapter 1 with a cry for attention. Again, in verses 2 through 6, it's clear that the plague of sin has infected all people, right? Through one man's sin, all have sinned. Because of Adam's failure to trust God and Adam's rebellion against God, all people are born into sin, right? Paul says in Romans 3, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All have sinned. None of us can escape that. And the result of the sin in our lives, the result of the sin within us is judgment. But unfortunately for us, judgment seems to be a foreign concept and it's viewed unfair because we have a warped view of justice and a faulty view of God. 
sin has tainted our thinking. And it's done so to make us elevate ourselves and kind of deflate who God is. So we don't see God as God. We don't see God as high and holy and righteous and just. Instead, we see God as some just convenient deity for us. And in turn, we elevate ourselves to really be as God. So in essence, what we've done is we've made ourselves Adam. We wanted to be as God, so we are willing to eat of the forbidden fruit to be as God. And sin has completely warped the way we think about God and holiness and righteousness and justice. But we must remember that it's God who is holy and not us. And when we sin, which we all do, and regardless of the depth and the nature of that sin, sin is sin, we're not just slightly failing, but we are in pure rebellion against God. We have this tendency to downplay our sin, but sin is sin. And because God is righteous, and because God is holy, and because God is just, He cannot allow sin to remain unpunished. He has to punish sin because he's perfectly just. The Bible tells us that all his ways are justice. So the lie is is that sin is not all that bad, but the reality is is that sin is no minor offense against God. It is the most extreme action against a holy God. And because of his perfect righteousness and be. Because of his perfect justice, sin deserves its due penalty. Which Paul also tells us in Romans 6, that the wages of sin is death. Now, Zephaniah, because of God's revealing this to him, he knows the severity of sin and he is knowing of the coming judgment for sin. He is crying out to the people. And in verse 7 he says, be silent before the Lord God. In essence, what he is saying is, hush, silence, stop, remember who your God is. They had forgotten who they serve. They had forgotten the goodness of God. Remember back up in verse 5, he says, and those who bow down and swear to the Lord and yet swear by Milcom. So in other words, they were saying they were following God, but they were also serving all these other false gods as well. So God was not all to them. They had forgotten who he was. And so the call for them was to turn to God, remember God, trust God. And out of urgency, he's telling them to stop. See, the reality is, is that people need to be reminded of sin. They need to be reminded of God's holiness and God's grace and salvation. And for some reason, we're afraid to do that today. We're afraid to call sin, sin. We're afraid to call people out. Oh, because the Bible says, judge not. Actually, that's a complete misunderstanding of what the Bible is teaching. Out of love for the brothers, we must call sin, sin. We must not be afraid of the holiness of God. We must be 
willing and ready to proclaim the glories and the majesty of God and the truth of his word. But what if they don't like it? Eternity is at stake. They might not like the message of it, but I can assure you they're definitely not going to like the eternal consequences for rejecting God. But what if they don't want to be friends with me anymore? It's worth it. Christians, we must be ready and willing to have a strong stance versus sin. Again, souls are at stake. Eternity is at stake. Don't be afraid to preach the truth of God's word. In many cases, these prophets knew what could happen to them if they preached boldly the truth of God's word. I love this quote from John MacArthur. He says, hard preaching makes soft hearts and soft preaching makes hard hearts. If we want people to be alive with the gospel, awakened to the gospel, we must clearly and boldly proclaim the gospel. If we want people who are willing to bow at any certain thing and willing to give in to any false teaching and willing to adopt any worldly practice, then don't preach the gospel. Give a pithy talk. Give a life coach type lesson. But when hell comes down in your life, you're going to want the pure spiritual meat of the faith. Zephaniah is proclaiming to them the gospel. Be silent before the Lord our God. He is holy. He is righteous. He is just. And as God's people, we must be ready to declare the glories of Christ while we have breath in our lungs. We cannot be afraid to say, be silent before the Lord our God. One of my favorite quotes in terms of preaching. Actually, when Ed built this pulpit for me, We had entertained engraving this particular quote on here, but because I'm pretty ADD, I was afraid my attention would be pulled off of it a lot, so we decided not to do it. But it's this quote from Puritan pastor Richard Baxter. And I think I wish it would be a theme for us all every day of our life, even though you might sit there and say, well, I'm not a preacher. No, we're all called to be proclaimers of the gospel. He says, I preached as sure to never preach again. As a dying man to dying men. In other words, live every moment like it may be your last moment. Declare the gospel like it may be the last thing that comes out of your mouth. Live for the glory of God as it may be the last thing you get to live for. Hear the message of Zephaniah. Hear the message of Scripture. Attention. Stop. Pay attention to who God is. Remember who God is. And if you have forgotten, then repent and turn back to the Lord. Zephaniah is crying for their attention. Because he knows the coming of judgment. He goes on, he says, for the day of the Lord is near and the Lord has prepared a sacrifice and consecrated his guests. Last week, we made it clear that sin, unrepentant sin, will lead 
to judgment. And here Zephaniah completes that thought by saying, for the day of the Lord is near. Judgment is coming. Now there's some interesting things about the latter part of verse 7 that, that I think we need to pay attention to that I think really show the beauty of what Zephaniah is trying to get them to remember. He's reminding them, listen, you can't just do life the way you want to do it. You can't worship God the way you want to worship God. You can't just live however you so choose to live. No, stop. Be silent before the Lord God. Remember who He is. Remember His righteousness. Remember His holiness. And you need to know that because the day of the Lord is near. Judgment is coming. And when it comes, you need to know this, that the Lord has prepared a sacrifice. He is reminding them that He knows all things, that He knows the hearts of men, and that He has already prepared salvation for His people. The Lord has prepared a sacrifice. From before the foundations of the world, God had a plan. And his plan included sacrificing his son as a substitutionary sacrifice for the sins of his people. The Lord has prepared a sacrifice. In Isaiah, we read time and time again of the promised Messiah's coming. And in the midst of that, we see that that Messiah would be one who God would lay down to atone for the sins of his people. You know, all throughout the Old Testament and all throughout history, you see when sacrifices are made, they're often made to God, but they're usually presented to the king or in honor of the king. And here it's saying that the Lord himself is preparing the sacrifice. He has prepared the sacrifice and he has consecrated his guests. God has prepared the sacrifice. It is the king who is preparing it. He's not receiving it. He's the one preparing it. He's preparing the salvation of his people. He is preparing the future to receive the king of glory. He is preparing the coming days so that the Messiah would come, so that the Messiah would live, so that the Messiah would die to appease the rightful wrath of God. What a beautiful picture of the gospel. See, it's not about serving God and anything else. You can't prepare a sacrifice good enough for God to accept you. It is God's sacrifice and God's alone that consecrates his guests. And that sacrifice was Jesus. And as Zephaniah is moving on in his call to attention of his people, that the judgment of God is coming. We see that that judgment is twofold. 
First, it's the judgment for the nation of Judah, starting in verse 8. And on the day of the Lord's sacrifice, I will punish the officials and the king's sons and all who array themselves in foreign attire. On that day, I will punish everyone who leaps over the threshold and who fill their master's house with violence and fraud. On that day, declares the Lord, a cry will be heard from the fish gate. A well from the second quarter, a loud crash from the hills. Well, O inhabitants of the mortar, for all the traders are no more. All who weigh out silver are cut off. At that time, I will search Jerusalem with lamps, and I will punish the men who are complacent. Those who say in their hearts that the Lord will not do good, nor will he do ill. Their gods shall be plundered, and their houses laid waste. Though they build houses, they shall not inhabit them. Though they plant vineyards, they shall not drink wine from them. The nation of Judah had perverted the worship of God. They were saying one, on one side that they served the Lord of God. They swear to the Lord. Yet on the other side, their lives were filled with all of these false idols. People, rulers, man-made idols. Their worship was about God plus all of these other things. But I'm here to tell you, God is not pleased with that. He will not share His glory. Our God is a righteous God. He is a jealous God. And Zephaniah is warning the people, you better repent of this and you better turn back to God because judgment is coming. And when it comes, there will be pain and there will be wailing. And there is no one who can escape from that. No one can escape the righteous judgment of God. He will search out his enemies because he knows our lives and he knows our hearts. He will find us. He will find you who continue to live in rebellion against him. You can know this, that it's easy to fool me. It's easy to fool your friends, your family. It's easy to live a life that appears to be one of a Christian. God will not be mocked. He knows your deepest secrets. He knows the darkest places of our hearts. Our sins will be made clear. So if you're here today and you're trying to play a game, or you're here today and you're not giving God everything you have, If God is not all to you, then I'm here to tell you to repent. Because if Jesus isn't your supreme object of affection, then someone or something else is. 
The people had turned from God. They had turned to other things, and judgment is coming. And this judgment brings pain, and this judgment brings wailing that will be heard from all around. How do we know that? Well, on the day of the Lord's sacrifice, I will punish the officials and the king's sons. So even the royalty cannot escape this. I don't care who you are. Everyone. On that day, verse 9, I will punish everyone who leaps over the threshold. That's pointing to um, a type of pagan worship. This was a practice that was common in some of the pagan worship, and and people were doing these odd um, types of new age things, really, if you want to look at it from our perspective. It's all of these other things trying to add to the message of the gospel. It says, and all those who fill their master's house with violence and fraud, so they're, they're not living for the glory of God. He says, on that day, verse 10, declares the Lord, a cry will be heard from the fish gate. So that's part of the outer walls of Jerusalem. And then a well from the second quarter. So it's a whole nother part of the city. And then a loud crash from the hill. So outside of the city, they're still going to hear that pain. Well, over inhabitants of the mortar. So another part of the lands. For all the traders are no more. All who weigh out silver are cut off. This goes from the royalty to the regular business folks. This this judgment is going to all people. He says, in that time I will search Jerusalem with lamps, so I will search the deepest and darkest places, and I will punish the men who are complacent, who say in their hearts, the Lord will will not do good, nor will he do ill. In other words, I'm going to seek out those who think that I am not God who treat me as I'm just some divine addition to their life, that I'm there to just help them out when they need it. Don't be complacent. I love what Spurgeon said. This is not up there, Rachel. He says, every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. We're either doing the work of God or we're not. And you see, Zephaniah is letting them know there is absolutely none of you who are going to escape if you are walking this false way of life. Your goods will be plundered, all your houses will be laid to waste, all the things that you build up, the things that you think hold value, the things that you invest all of your time and your energy into, I'm going to destroy those things. So they build houses, they shall not inhabit them. Though they plant vineyards, they shall not drink wine from them. You can do all that you want, but those labors will be in vain. Judgment's coming, nation of Judah. And the second aspect of God's judgment extends beyond Judah to the rest of the world. Verse 14, the great day of the Lord is near. Near and hastening fast. The sound of the day of the Lord is bitter. The mighty man cries aloud there. A day of wrath is that day. A day of distress and anguish. A day of ruin and devastation. A day of darkness and gloom. A day of clouds and thick darkness. A day of trumpet blast and battle cry against the fortified cities and against the lofty embattlements. In other words, when God comes back, 
When judgment comes, there is nothing that will stop him. He says, I will bring distress on mankind so that they shall walk like the blind because they have sinned against the Lord. Their blood shall be poured out like the dust and their flesh like dung. Neither their silver nor their gold shall be able to deliver them on the day of the wrath of the Lord. And in the fire of his jealousy, all the earth shall be consumed for a full and sudden end. He will make all the inhabitants of the earth. This judgment will bring devastation. It will strike terror into all whose hope is not in the Lord. Folks, don't play around with God. Be silent before the Lord our God. For the day of the Lord is near. God promised in Genesis 3 to right wrongs through Jesus. Jesus comes and he lives, he preaches, he ministers, and then he's put to death. We know that the word says that in his death, he defeats death. He bears the wrath of God. This isn't news. It's not the mocking that pained Christ. It's not the beating that pained Christ. It's. Not the crown of thorns that ultimately pained Christ. No, what pained Christ, what brought salvation to God's people is the fact that Jesus bore the wrath of God meant for sin. What wrath? Verse 14 again. The great day of the Lord is near, near and hastening fast. Sound of the day of the Lord is bitter. The mighty man cries aloud there. A day of wrath is that day. A day of distress and anguish. A day of ruin and devastation. A day of darkness and gloom. A day of clouds and thick darkness. A day of trumpet blasts and battle cry against the fortified cities and against the lofty embattlements. I would bring distress on mankind so that they will walk like the blind because they have sinned against the Lord. Their blood shall be poured out like dust and their flesh like dung. Neither their, their silver nor their gold shall be able to deliver them on the day of the wrath of the Lord. And in the fire of jealousy, all of the earth shall be consumed for a full and sudden end. He will make of all the inhabitants of the earth. That wrath God turns towards his son Jesus and he unleashes that on him on the cross. And in that moment, Jesus cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Don't play around with the holiness of God. Don't think that you can just 
Say the name of Jesus and all will be made well. Your life must be radically transformed by the gospel of Christ. You must fully surrender yourself to him and run the race with endurance that is set before you. The day of the Lord is no joking matter. Sin is real. God is holy. And justice will prevail. You see, Satan waged war with God through sin. And that war was won on Calvary. And you might say, but why do we still face sin today? Because the final consummation of the day of the Lord hasn't been fully realized yet. But it's coming. Which is why we can hear a message like Zephaniah's preaching to these people who before Jesus was ever born is actually a very timely message for us today because Jesus is going to come again. And when he comes, you better be ready. There are no second chances. And when he comes back, going to be a whole different story than when he came the first time. The first time he came as a humble babe born to the Virgin Mary. But I want you to flip over to Revelation chapter 19 real quick. So when that day comes, this is what you'll see. Revelation 19, starting in verse 11. Then I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True. And in righteousness, he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire. On his head are many diadems, crowns. He's the ruler of all things, and he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. And he will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh is the name written King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And you might say, how in the world is this fitting with the Advent season? Isn't Christmas supposed to be joyful in a time to where we talk about the joy and the peace of God? Yes, it is, but you can't understand the joy and the peace of God without understanding the righteous judgment of God. We can't understand the glories of the gospel of Christ until we understand where we would be without it. And this church is where we are without the glories and the gospel of Christ, awaiting a certain judgment. But I want you to know this, that even in the midst of of impending judgment, God extends grace in the call of repentance. Look at chapter 2, verse 1. 
says, gather together. Yes, gather, O shameless nation, before the decree takes effect, before the day passes away like chaff, before there comes upon you the burning anger of the Lord, before there comes upon you the day of the anger of the Lord. Notice what he says. Seek the Lord, all you humble of the land, who do his just commands. Seek righteousness. Seek humility. Perhaps you may be hidden on the day of the anger of the Lord. This is a call for the rebellious to gather and to hear the word of the Lord. This is a call for the people of God to remember who God is, to hear the word of the Lord preach. This gathering is an act of God's grace. He could have destroyed all without a warning, but he's giving them a warning. He is offering a chance for repentance. This is the chance. There is no second chance. The day, the day of the Lord is coming, and when it comes, it's over. God's grace will be removed. So church, seek the Lord. Pursue Jesus. He is a satisfying Savior who saves from sin and death. And He's a satisfying Savior for two ways. He satisfies the wrath of God so that you can be set free from what He says here is the anger of the Lord. But He also satisfies the very deep longings of the soul. Because He gives what sin cannot and that is completeness. He gives salvation. You see, nothing in this world can satisfy but Jesus. He satisfies God's righteous wrath. And He satisfies the deepest longings of your soul. So gather together, yes, gather, O shameless nation, before the decree takes effect. Before... The day of the Lord comes before judgment comes. Turn to God. Before there comes upon you the burning anger of the Lord. Before there comes upon you the day of the anger of the Lord. Seek the Lord. All you humble of the land. Blessed are the poor in spirit for they shall, for they shall inherit the kingdom of earth. Kingdom of God. Perhaps you may be hidden on the day of the anger of the Lord. You remember what I told you last week? Zephaniah's name means in Hebrew. Yahweh is hidden. The message of Zephaniah is that judgment is coming. But for those who trust in God. We will be hidden from the wrath of God. Do you see the beauty there? That for those who turn to God and God alone, for those whose satisfaction is in God and God alone, we're hidden from the wrath of God. We're hidden from the anger of God. But for those who do not, I urge you to seek the Lord, to trust in Him, C.S. Lewis is one of my favorite authors, as you know. 
Usually when I'm quoting C.S. Lewis, I'm quoting the Chronicles of Narnia, but this is not from the Chronicles of Narnia. He says, If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. All of our lives are spent trying to satisfy ourselves. Do you realize that? Everything we do is about personal satisfaction. We are trying to feel longings in our heart that only God can feel. We do it in various means. We do it with people. We do it with careers. We do it with drugs. We do it with alcohol. We do it with sex. We do it with pornography. We even do it with church. We try to feel the deepest longings in our heart with things that can't utterly and truly satisfy. Only God can truly satisfy our hearts. And so I want to ask you today, where is your satisfaction? Is it in these more ungodly things? Relationships, bad relationships, misused sex, drugs, alcohol, living for personal gain? Vain glory? Or perhaps your satisfaction is even in good things. Your spouse, your children, even your career to a degree. The church. I've seen people that work their lives to the bone for the church without ever knowing the Lord. Because they thought that they could receive salvation through that. Whatever you are trying to find satisfaction in, whatever you're trying to satisfy the deepest longings of your soul with, if it's not Jesus alone, then you need to repent of that. And you need to trust in God or really before the decree takes effect. See, if you would be truly saved... If you would find true satisfaction, if you would find real hope, eternal, lasting joy, true salvation from sin and death. And seek the Lord. Because He, and only He, is a satisfying Savior. Don't give in to the lie of the world. Don't give in to the lie of false gospels. Don't give in to the lie of people. There is no other name under heaven by which man can be saved but Jesus. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you so much for this season of Advent. That we're not awaiting Christ to come to save the world. 
For we know he's already come. And he's already done the necessary work to save his people. If we would only trust him. But God, we sit here and we await his return. The day when he will come with all power and authority as we just read in Revelation 19. When he will judge the nations. When he will make all things new. And God, I know that some of us just try to play this Christian game in our lives without truly giving God everything we have, Father. But you know our hearts. And I pray that you would bring conviction to our souls so that we would repent and return to you. The Lord of our lives. Would you restore to us the joy of your salvation? In Jesus' gracious name we pray. Amen.